The other day, uh, yesterday actually, we went for a, a walk. Uh, the whole family, we all piled out the door and started uh, to go for a walk. Not in our neighborhood, because there isn't really much of a neighborhood, but along the road and, and down some of the quieter roads around our house. And uh, on our way, we usually have a, a regular path that we walk, especially with the dog. And uh, along that way, uh, I just happened to see a little path going off into the woods, and we just decided to go and check it out. And it was quite a lovely little path, nice and wide, easy to walk down with like uh, the, the pine needles on it. And it was a beautiful little walk into the woods until we got to really swampy, muddy area. But it was a beautiful walk into the woods. And I wonder if maybe if you've ever done that in life, where you're walking along and you're, you're thinking you're going along a path that you know, and then you end up on a trail that you've never taken before, and it ends with the most beautiful view that you've seen in a while, or this nice little tranquil pond or place that you've never seen before, and you're just like, what an adventure it was just to find this new trail, this new walking path that took me along this way. Or maybe if you're not much into walking, especially into the woods or anything like that, you were driving and you took the wrong exit or the wrong turn and you just happened to find this nice little store or cafe that you've never seen before or that just opened up that was just a real treat to see. You never would have seen it otherwise, but wandering along sometimes paths that we didn't plan have these great little results. See, life can often catch us by surprise, offering us these little moments that we didn't expect because we were never actually looking for it. And because God is actively involved in our lives, these are often not coincidences or accidents. David Paul Tripp says it like this, that God takes us down roads we wouldn't choose, so we'll arrive at destinations we would never make on our own. And when it comes to our faith and salvation and freedom, that's exactly how God works. And is it because he's tricky and always trying to catch us off guard? I don't think so. I think maybe it's because we are looking uh, for it to come in a different way, in our own way, or the way that we would do it. We want God to bring about those freedoms, that salvation, the way we would do it. And we can't see that far ahead because our eyes are set on a path that we would choose instead of that he would choose for us. Our lives, when they didn't follow the path that we thought they would, we arrive at both real and spiritual destinations in ways that we never would have imagined when God leads us that way. Sometimes that leaves us in amazement, but often it leaves us, you know, wary and timid afraid to move forward because we're moving in directions that we don't know. We don't know what's around the corner, and that leaves us with hesitation, not wanting to go forward. And when facing uncertainty like that, the question that we need to ask ourselves then is this. When you can't see everything, will you trust Jesus with one thing? He'll be the Savior that you need, but he may not always be the Savior that you want? And this is a big question at Easter. Will you trust God with one step? You know, this question started long before Palm Sunday came around. See, the children of Israel, uh, hundreds of years earlier, they returned from captivity. The whole nation had been captured and taken off 
to the other country, another country called Babylon because they weren't following God the way that he had asked them to and the way they had promised to and covenanted to uh, with God. And so they had been, they had been dragged off to, to Babylon because of that. And now they had been returned to the land and they come and they ask uh, Zechariah, a prophet at the time, if all their years of hardship and if the things that they've been doing to try and make right with God were enough, could they stop and just start going on with their regular life now? And Zechariah in that moment, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing here, but he seems to ask them this. He asks them if, if they should, he asks them this, has the hardness of our collective hearts towards God changed? They were asking, is the hardness of what we have to do, is it over? Are we done with it? And they're like, he was like, but has the hardness of your heart really changed? They had been asked to fast and pray at this time. And they were doing so, but it was out of obligation. Their hearts were not sincere in what they were doing. There was no contriteness towards God for it. It was just emotion that they were going through with no heart because their hearts were still hard. They were walking in contradiction, yearning to be free on one side and, and with, with seeing God establish them, yet with a hard heart that wanted to do it their own way. The very reason that they'd been in Babylon all those years. And yet, and yet, even with these hard hearts, even when they were fasting and not really meaning it and just doing it a lip service, and yet God still says to them through Zechariah, he paints a picture and a promise for them of a coming Messiah, a Savior who will deal a death blow finally to sin, which is the source of every hard heart towards God. Jesus, the Messiah, King will ride victoriously into Jerusalem. We read in Zechariah 9, 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. God was taking a road that they wouldn't choose. Jesus was not entering Jerusalem as their victorious king on a horse. See, a horse would have been something that a king at that time would ride in on after victorious battle. After claiming victory over an enemy, he rides in on his war horse to say, it's done, I've accomplished it, we're good to go now. But what does Jesus do? He rides in on a donkey which it isn't to say like he's humiliated and ride, having to ride that type of animal. That was actually the type of animal that a king would ride during peacetime. And so when Jesus enters, he enters riding a donkey, signifying that he is entering in in a peacetime, and yet he is coming to deliver salvation from sin, the greatest battle that we could ever face. The victory Jesus was bringing in that moment wasn't by battle, or at least one that we would recognize, but by humble service. God for us in this is giving us a Savior that humbly comes in victorious peace 
when we would want a powerful show of force. And in this approach, God reveals how much he actually values us. In Zechariah 9, 16, it says this, On that day the Lord, their God, will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. Those that are saved by God will be jewels to to him. It was something that he cherishes. Jesus is Messiah, shepherd. And yet due to the people's hard hearts, he will be rejected. And in prophesying, Zechariah doesn't physically see Jesus. He doesn't have a vision of what Jesus actually looks like and what is going to happen to him. But he gives descriptions for recognizing him and painting a picture of how salvation will come. Think of it, hundreds of years before, he says the Messiah will come entering in on a colt. And here Jesus enters that exact way, and yet they don't recognize it. The people will miss it as they look for God to come in power. But yet, Zechariah was still faithful to his call. Whether he believed or knew that the people would understand his prophecy or whether they would ignore it, looking for something different, he still stayed true to what God asked him to do. Present a vision of what will be. And in that, we can see a powerful truth. That being overwhelmed diminishes in obedience. Often we can feel overwhelmed by our circumstances, but when we take that step of obedience, when we trust God with one thing, the overwhelmed feelings that we face diminish because of our obedience. The most challenging step of obedience is always the first one, isn't it? It's always the first step, and then followed by the next and the next. But there is no next step without that first step. Someone entering into AA for the first time, that's a big step towards freedom. Someone coming to their parents or their spouse to confess something, that's a big first step that's uncomfortable. Someone reaching out for school, at school for help or at work for help, that involves that dreadful first step of admitting you need that help. Because when you can't see everything, you need to trust Jesus by stewarding your next step. Like I said, hundreds of years earlier, the Lord had given Zechariah that vision And he stewards it faithfully. He shares it with the people that are looking for something completely different. They want the easy life now. And he says, it's going to come, but it's going to look different than what you'd expect. And he stewards it and he shares it. And all he could do is steward what God gave him to share. And now we fast forward hundreds of years. And Jesus sends two disciples ahead of the other 12. And he gives them an unusual and specific request. And all they can do as well is steward the step that Jesus has given them. Matthew 21, 2 to 3, it says this, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall say, uh, uh, The Lord needs them. 
and he will send them at once. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed him. One thing he asked them, go, and as soon as you get there, you're going to see some animals and just go and take them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine somebody giving you that, that advice today? Hey, just go over to Lancaster, and when you get there, you're going to see a car. Just grab it and come back and bring it back to me. How many of us would you go like, aye, aye, let's get on that one? We would be like, nope, <laughs> nope. Do you give me the keys? Do you have like uh, any type of proof of ownership that I can bring so that when I'm taking this car, I'm not going to get in trouble? We would have, we would give it quite, quite a big pause, wouldn't we? And I'm sure they would too, considering a, the donkey is basically their car at the time, to go and just do that. And here they are taking that obedient step. Zachariah stewards a picture of the coming Messiah. The disciples, they steward a simple instruction to bring a donkey and a colt to Jesus. They seem small in their individual moments. But when you step back and look at the bigger picture of what was happening, they're both absolutely important things. One, the prophetic future of the Messiah coming. The second is setting up the exact thing needed for Jesus to fulfill the prophecy that the Messiah would come on that colt. In the grand story, Jesus, being whom he said he was, if these moments were missed, ignored, or brushed aside, something else could enter the story of Jesus for us. We could have doubt. Is he really the Messiah? If there wasn't a prophecy that we can then see fulfilled, would we look back and say, of course, he, he is who he says he was? Unless we see these things happen, unless we take notice of them, we can begin to doubt that he actually is who he says he is. So what you are being asked to steward ties into much a big, bigger story. We talked about that all last month when we looked at Joseph. Joseph stewarding what God had given him. Faithfully, even though he was in a pit, in a prison, he faithfully stewarded what God gave him until he could bring about the saving of his family. We all are asked to steward something that is a part of a much bigger story. Each one of you, over the years that you've been here at, at, a, at Thy Word and now Life Center, you've all had a part in stewarding the story of God moving through this church. It's not the whole story, but it's a part of the story. And God has asked you to steward it. And we should stand amazed at God who would do, who could do all things. He could do all of this himself. He could share the news himself. He could let us know himself. He could save us all himself. And yet, what does he do? But he entrusts us. He gives us the honor of stewarding and of sharing his story, of sharing in the promise of what is to come. The promise of hope. Three simple things they did in obedience. The disciples came. They asked, and they obeyed Jesus. Zechariah stewards what's in his hand. The disciples, they steward what was in their hands. And the story of Easter, the retelling of Easter, is one of stewardship and selflessness. It's one of stewardness, stewardship and selfishness as well. It's one of obedience of Christ 
and disobedience by us. Jesus says, you will find a donkey tied to a colt. Bring them to me. Simple steps of obedience. Sometimes we have the hardest time fulfilling them. And in this place, when you think of that, bringing that donkey and the colt, Jerusalem would have been a noisy place. It was right at Passover, so lots of people would have been coming to Jerusalem at that time from all over Israel. An unbroken colt, a new colt, would have been overwhelmed at that and been unpredictable and hard to, to manage in that moment, let alone having somebody sit down him and, and walk into the city. But having a mother there, having its mother there, moving alongside her unbroken colt, would have been the best way to calm it during that noisy entrance into Jerusalem. We can almost take a lesson from this, this cult being led by its mother in that moment, is that when we're struggling with doubt, when we're struggling with trust, taking that step, when we're struggling with stewarding what God has put in our hands, we should have a faithful follower of Jesus walk with us in that moment. Somebody who has been there and done that. Somebody who has been a spiritual mother or a father for us. Their presence in our life can make a Jesus-sized difference, helping us take one more step. As we reflect again, Zechariah said that the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, King, will ride into Jerusalem in humility. Matthew 28, 8 to 11 says this, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, this may not seem like humility to you. Imagine you coming in uh, 138, and there's, cor- there's car horns honking and flags waving as, as you enter into Cornwall. Everybody's there going, Michael, 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 as you're coming in. You wouldn't think that's a real humble way to enter the city, would you? Probably not. But just when you read through the context of what's happening there, his followers and the people who know him are crying Hosanna. They're crying Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But Jerusalem as a whole is going, who is that? Who is he? Who are you calling Hosanna? We don't really know who that is. That'd be kind of humbling, wouldn't it? A small little parade coming into the city where everybody's like, what is going on? Do they have a permit for that? Can we actually do this? He came in humility. Not, nobody really knew what he was coming to do. They thought maybe, his followers thought maybe he was coming in, and in a moment, like he could walk on water, like he could make 5,000 or feed 5,000, like he could raise Lazarus from the dead, he was going to come and somehow set himself up as king or leader of Israel. Nobody knew what he was about to do. 
Zachariah said Jesus is the Messiah shepherd. And due to his people, due to the, the people's hard hearts, he would be rejected. In Luke 19, 41 to 42, we read this. And when he drew near to the city and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace. Would they have known the things that would make for peace? They don't see the path that he's on that will bring salvation. They're looking for something so different. Jesus, though, our great shepherd, sees individuals. He sees cities, and he's moved with compassion. When doubt drives, he sees it. He has compassion, and he cries over it because disobedience in our hearts keeps us hard to him. And he weeps, and it's not due to his own upcoming rejection, but because our rejection of him always leads to a lack of peace, a lack of unity, a lack of wholeness. If we pause and reflect in our lives, anytime we reject Jesus, when we keep him out of the areas that he wants to get into, what happens? What do we feel? No peace, no wholeness, no stillness from God, no unity within ourselves and with God. He weeps because the city rejects him as their king. When we reject his ways and try our own, when we, like Jerusalem, look for a savior on a war horse to rage against the war of our foes and bring freedom, whatever our foes are, whether they're internal demons that, that just we were wrestling with, things that personally and internally we can't overcome to get freedom, or that we feel like it's something external that's outside of us, when we look for Jesus to come on his war horse, would we know today what steps lead to peace? Would we know today what roads need to be traveled to bring us to the destination we need? Not the one we want. Today is Palm Sunday. Today would be the day that Jesus rides into the city. Tomorrow, Monday, Jesus would cry over the city and he would cleanse the temple from those that would take the area that was meant for prayer and use it to make money. Tuesday, Judas, one of his 12 closest, would bargain to betray Jesus. On Thursday, it would be the Last Supper, the communion meal that we celebrate, where Judas chooses sin over stewardship, where Peter would choose pride over humility, and where Jesus in a garden does the exact opposite with his father. The story of Easter is really the intersection of the two stories, God and humanity. It's the story of God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus chooses humility to lay down his life so our hearts towards him may become tender. Jesus chooses stewardship in saying, not my will, but yours be done. Whereas Judas 
He betrays Jesus with a kiss. But Jesus still calls him friend. Disciples fall asleep instead of praying. But Jesus still has them follow him. Peter chooses violence instead of the way of healing. And then Peter chooses to betray Jesus with an act of pride. But Jesus still has purpose for him. No matter where you may see yourself in any of those disciples or moments, whether you feel like you've betrayed Jesus with a kiss, whether you've offered him lip service to say, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I'm following you. Everything is great. But in your heart, you've chosen a different way. Whether you've fallen asleep, whether you've become apathetic in following God and your heart isn't really there and you're falling asleep when he's asked you to stay devout and stay on it, Jesus still calls you to follow him. And whether you've been like Peter and you've chosen violent ways or aggressive ways to try to advance his kingdom, Jesus still has a purpose for you, for me. Because sadly, even if we're close to Jesus, like his disciples, it doesn't mean we always reflect him. That takes a whole lot of humility. So today we ask, when you can't see everything, when you can't see the road ahead and how it looks, when you can't see how you're going to overcome the challenges that are in front of you, the sickness that you're facing, the addiction that you have that's, that you can't break free from, when you can't see that, can you steward one step? Can you trust Jesus with one step and take one step closer to him where he asks you to go, even if it's on a path? you're unfamiliar with. Our hope, though, is sure because Jesus stewarded his one thing perfectly. He was faithful to us to the end. In Hebrews 12, 2, we read, Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the Savior that we've been looking for. And on Palm Sunday, when some could see it and yet not really see it, and others had no idea who he was and would reject him, today, our choice is to see him for who he is, our humble Messiah, our Savior riding in, in peace. And our, uh, he asks us to take one step. When we can't see it all, just take one more step towards him to follow him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you were perfect in living out your life. And that when the challenges came, when you had choices to make and whether or not you were going to selflessly live for us and love us so completely, and break the bondage of sin and brokenness in our lives and in this world. God, we thank you for that, that you were faithful to steward what your Father had given you. And God, while we can never perfectly steward what you give us, and we want to take one step at a time following you, trusting that when we can't see what's ahead, when we don't know what's around the corner, 
When we don't know the solution to our problems, we don't know when or where our healing is coming, we don't know when our freedom from bondage is coming, we don't know exactly what it looks like. God, we trust you with one more step. We trust you to take us on the paths that we may not recognize, but will bring us to your wholeness to your peace and your salvation. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here today that feels more like, like a Judas or like a Peter that's gone, gone awry or disciples that have fallen asleep, God, I pray that they could hear your voice again today, hear you calling to say, follow me. Follow me. simple as that, to lay down your will and follow Jesus, to trust him with one thing, trust him with one more step. We thank you, Jesus, that we can trust you. We pray this in your name. Amen.